You know, getting up on that stage is getting more and more difficult. I don't know if I'm getting older, the pants are getting tighter. I think I washed them, that's the issue. Anyway, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the executive director. How about Christina? She did a great job. It's her birthday today. Gosh, the old girl's doing a great job. Anyway, so if it's your first time here, let me kind of catch you up as to what we're doing. We are in this series called Power of Thought. And what we're trying to do is, is just take a look at how our thoughts and our emotions can have a major impact in our life. And so we've been diving into the scripture. We've been looking at Jesus and the wisdom that's in the Old Testament to try to figure out how can we harness our thoughts for good. So week one, Adam Duckworth, our lead communicator, talked to us about anxiety. And I've said this every week since then that I believe this is one of the finest messages we have done here at this church if you have anxiety, if you're someone who worries, or maybe you're just a little bit of a worrier, you need to go listen to this message. So you can go on our website, soflowchurch.com, or iTunes, or wherever you get our podcasts. Go listen to it. Go share it. Go send it to that person you know. It's just, I feel like God is really using this particular one. So just go listen to it. We followed that up by talking about decisions. This idea that if you are a follower of Jesus, and we, and we have these major life decisions, this, should I get married? Should I move? Should I, should I take this job? We want to make sure that we make the right one. We want to make sure that God and I are on the same page, that he's going to bless my decisions. And what we learn is that God actually wants you to know what he wants you to do. And that through speaking with your friends and reading the scripture and, and through prayer, you can actually find out his will for your life. And before we broke from Memorial Day, we talked about comparison. This idea that in life, we think we're asking the question, how am I doing? But in reality, what we're asking is, how am I doing compared to everybody else? When I kind of look at my life, and I'm looking to the left, and I'm looking to the right, how am I doing? So this week, I want to talk about a topic that is a little more deep, and perhaps one of the more deeper ones we've done here during this series. But I think it's a topic that affects all of us, some of us more than others. But I hope you'll find out that really it's something we all deal with. And we're going to be talking about our past. When I talk about our past, I'm talking about the old you, the old mistakes, the old sins, if you will, the old failures, all those things that happened in the past. And what's interesting about where this lesson falls, so to speak, is that I think when we're talking about our past, what we begin to do is we begin to compare our pasts to others. You know, you're sitting in a room like this, and you start looking to the left and looking to the right, and you may say to yourself, my past was way more wild than anybody else in this room. I mean, I really did a lot of damage before I said yes to Jesus. I mean, I really put it out there. Or maybe you're somebody, and I'm just generalizing, maybe you're somebody who grew up in the church. There's never a time when you didn't know Jesus, so to speak. And, and you, know, you lived a, a great life as a little kid, and you behaved in school, and college was fine, and now you're an adult, and everything is vanilla and basic, and it's not a problem. And you hear a song like Christina sang, and you're thinking, Amazing Grace, and it's talking about a wretch. And you're like, it's a beautiful song, but that's just not me. I was never really a wretch. I don't necessarily connect with that. And maybe you're someone, this is probably not in this church, who looks around and goes, that person's way worse than me. <laughs> okay, we have one. Okay, so there's always one. Anyway, what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about life before, still funny, talking about life before Jesus. We're talking, what we're really doing is we're comparing sins. We're saying, my sins are worse than your sins, or your sins are worse than my sins. And here's what's so interesting about this. And a lot of churches won't talk about this, but this is really the truth. 
and, and don't miss this, so pay attention because it might be complicated. When we're talking about your life before Jesus, this time in your life when you, before you said, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. I believe that he died for my sin and because of that, God and I are good, all that stuff. Before that, when we're talking about the sins in your life, whether they're small or big, you need to understand this. There is no hierarchy of sin. There's no hierarchy of sin. Whether you told a little white lie when you were five years old or you did some crime, both of those will keep you equally apart from God. And the reason this is so interesting and so important to talk about is because I want to level the playing field. Because I want all of us to recognize that whether you had a quote-unquote wild life or whether you had a life that you think was boring and plain, you just need to understand that we're all in the same boat. We were all in the same boat. Paul says it like this in Romans. He says, for everyone, every single one of us has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So the question is, what about life after Jesus? What about life after you finally said, I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? That guy who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. I believe in him now. What does life look like then? Well, when you say yes, you need to understand that God now sees you through Jesus. Your past is gone. All the sins, all the faults, all the failures, God no longer sees it. The, the Bible kind of paints this picture that when God looks at you, he's actually seeing his son Jesus. It's like putting on glasses that only allow him to see Jesus. He doesn't see your past anymore, and that's just amazing. In Isaiah, we read, I, even I, this is God speaking, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He doesn't remember them anymore. In Psalms, it says this, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. You have to understand that when you say yes to Jesus, God lets go of your past. He wipes the slate clean. It's a fresh start. When you say yes to Jesus, God lets go of your past. But the question is, will you? And will others? Because it's true that God no longer sees your past. But others do. And so do you. I was talking to my buddy this week, and he said, so what are you talking about on Sunday? And I said, well, I want to focus on this idea that when you say yes to Jesus, you've been forgiven, but for a lot of us, we kind of we see the old person still. You look in the mirror and you see the old guy, and he goes, well, that's not me. I don't feel that way at all. I said, well, that's, that's great. I said, I also want to touch on the fact that for many of us, once we've said yes to Jesus, other people may still see the old you. And he goes, well, that's me. He goes, a lot of my friends can't believe that I'm a Christian anymore, that I'm Christian now. They look at all the things that I did and the way that I act, and they go, there's just no way that you are a Christian. I call this the realities of redemption. This idea that, yes, once you've said yes to Jesus, you are forgiven and you are a new person, but there's some realities in this life that come with that. Someone said it like this, I've been forgiven, but I feel like my past is still following me around. I look in the mirror and I see the same old face. I go out to the same old haunts and I see the same old people, and yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, but I feel like the past is everywhere I go. So today I want to look at a guy named Paul. And if you've been around this church any length of time, you know we talk about him a lot. So let me just give you an update of who Paul is if you don't know. 
Paul is one of the more famous people in the Bible. He was a Jewish scholar. He was a Jewish leader, a religious leader at the time. And he was responsible for heading up the persecutions of Christians during that time. This man would jail Christians. This man would kill them if necessary. And then at one point in his life, and we're going to talk about it today, he meets Jesus and his life is changed and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And he goes on to spread the gospel across the world and to write half of the New Testament. In my mind, Paul is the epitome of a living a full life with a checkered past. And I think for a lot of us, this is kind of what we're dealing with and what we're struggling with. So today we're going to be in the book of Acts. And we first meet Paul in Acts chapter 8, and we meet him briefly because we learn that he was the guy who was presiding over the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of Jesus' buddies, one of Jesus' disciples, and Paul was there as Stephen was stoned. So we're going to start in Acts 9, the very next chapter, and it says this. Meanwhile, Saul, and pause, you were calling him Paul. Why is it called Saul here? He had two names. His Hebrew name was Saul. His Greek name was Paul. So depending on who was writing the book and where he was, he had a different name. It's like me. I'm John. But when I'm with my Italian grandparents back in the day, they would sometimes call me Giovanni. You know what this is like when you have a bilingual family. So this is Paul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So this is going to sound unusual, but this is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You would think I would say, for God to love the world. But the reason I like this so much is I just, the description is unlike anything I see elsewhere in the Bible. It's, it doesn't say that Paul was ordering threats or, or commanding people to be murdered. He was saying he was breathing out murderous threats. The very air in his lungs, the very essence of his being was death and destruction and evil. And as I was writing this, I was thinking of a character from a movie played by Christoph Waltz called Colonel Hans Landa in the movie Inglorious Bastards. And I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's actually quite good. And in this movie, this guy was a Nazi officer. And his job was to go around and interviewing German families who he thought were hiding Jews. And what's so fascinating about the way that Christoph Waltz played this character is that you're watching the movie, and he's funny, and he's charismatic, he's elegant and polite, and... If you're not careful, you almost start to like the guy. But then you realize that everything that this man stands for is death and destruction. And that was Paul. So we continue reading. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And as he neared Damascus, because that's where he was headed, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Any Jewish person at this time would know that when you heard a voice from heaven, because at this time Jesus has now died and he's resurrected and he's in heaven, when you hear a voice from heaven, you know it is divine and you would refer to it as Lord. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In an instant, Paul was changed. In an instant, everything was different. And if you've said yes to Jesus, you know that once you say, yeah, you just, something is different. Now, you may not understand what happened, but there's just something different inside of you. And in that moment, on that road, Paul 
knew he had been forgiven. Paul knew that this man Jesus, who he tried to stop his followers, was in fact God in the flesh. And Paul, in that moment, became a follower. Paul, in that moment, knew that his past on all those crimes and all those murders had been wiped clean. But what he quickly learned is that Paul learned that just because God no longer sees his past doesn't mean that others don't. Acts continues on, and it says this. In Damascus, the town where he was headed, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus, good to hear from you, number one. Number two, are you sure that you want me to go talk to Paul? Because you, you understand that if he finds out that I'm a Christian, he's going to kill me. And Jesus says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So Ananias obeyed. He obeyed. He prayed for Paul. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he got baptized. Like so many people, just in this very room, when you say yes to Jesus, you get baptized. And what that is, is it's an outward expression of an inward change. Paul was saying, I'm a new man. I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. I am a Christian now. So Paul goes on, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he tried to join the disciples, Jesus' buddies, But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They're going, Paul, we know know your past. We know what you stand for. There is no way that you're a Christian. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And the disciples said, okay, we believe it. We believe it. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. What Paul now had to do and what so many of us have to do and what we need to answer today is this. How do we actually come back from our past? Yeah, I've said yes to Jesus. Yes, I know I've been forgiven. But how do I come back now? So first and foremost, I've been speaking presumptuously, if you will, that everyone has said yes to Jesus. But the first step is you just need to say yes to Jesus. You need to get to a place in your life where you go, you know what? I may not fully understand it all, but I do believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that a guy that could predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, I could probably trust him. That is step one. Step two, very important. You need to own your role in your negative history. You got to just look back in your life and you got to go, okay, those are my faults. Those are my sins. Those are my mistakes. Yes, that is, I, I got to own my part of the disaster. All, that's, that's all mine. What's so interesting about humans is that we can, we can look at our failures and we can look at our past and all that and we can say, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. I mean, yes, I cheated on my wife, but you don't know what it was like in that house. I mean, it was not good. The marriage was not good. So technically, yes, I cheated on my wife, but just, you know, I mean, yes, I got fired from my job for stealing. But in fairness, 
everybody was doing it. So if it wasn't me who got caught, it would have been somebody else, the boss was a jerk. I mean, it was just, yes, technically, but. Whatever it is, humans are going to find some way to put the blame on someone else or something else. We've been doing it since Adam and Eve. And the reason we don't do it is because there's a better story to tell. We don't want to tell a story where we say, I'm a sinner, I'm no good, I messed up. We want to tell a story where we can go, it's her fault, boss is a jerk, economy was bad, that's why I had to do what I did. Just, we, that's what we want to do. But the truth is this, your best bet for a successful future is to own your share of the past. Because the truth is that even if we're, let's call it owning up to 90% of, of what we did, we're still living a lie. I mean, we're still not owning up to our own past. And the problem is, when you don't own up to your own past, it follows you around. You just can't seem to shake it. Yeah, you've been forgiven, but there's just some, it's just, it follows you. It's always in the darkness. It's always around every corner. You just can't seem to get rid of it. That's why taking ownership of the past removes its ownership of the future. And this is such a huge, important concept to understand because you've got to get to a place in your life where you say, I did it. That was my fault. That was my sin. There were other people involved and there were circumstances, yes, but it's my fault. And when you own up to your role in your past, what happens is you remove the energy from the past. You release the tension, that grip that the past had on you, it goes away. By owning up to it, you set yourself free. You're also going to want to rethink it, rethink your past. So when we mess up, we always say one thing. We say, oh, God, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Rough night, wake up on a Saturday morning, you go, what was I thinking? And then you do it again on Saturday night. The problem is we say these things in a moment of exasperation, but we never stop and pause to answer the question, what was I thinking? And answering this question is a key to your recovery. It is a key from coming back to the past because the problem is this. If you think the way you used to think, you'll do the things you used to do. If you don't stop to answer that question, nothing is going to change. Paul says it like this in Romans 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He's going, don't be like everybody else. Your old self, the way everyone else is doing it, don't be like that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you think of renewing, think of it like this. Think about restoring. So have you ever, let me ask you a question. Have you ever restored a piece of furniture? No, neither have I. But I watch Joanna Gaines. I mean, HDTV is on my television all the time, so I know what it looks like, okay? How about her husband, by the way? Anyway, we'll leave it at that. So Joanna Gaines is great. And if you've ever restored furniture or even a car, you understand that you need to strip away all of the old paint, all of the old veneer, all the old clear coat, all the junk. You've got to just strip it away down to the bare surface. And that's not fun. That is not the fun part of restoring furniture. It takes time, it takes effort, it's dirty, and you want to skip it. And what is happening so often in the local church, and we actually get criticized for not doing this, but what's so interesting about the local church is that they'll look at people and they'll say, you're a mess, and you know this, 
and you've got issues. So here's what you need to do. You need to say this prayer and all will be better. You got to raise your hand. You got to walk forward. You got to repeat after me and everything is going to be just fine in your life. Maybe you've been in a surface where they have you write it on a stick, your issue, and throw it into the fire, letting it go. Write it on a piece of paper, lay it at the altar, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you've gone to a church where you go to confession and every week you go to confession and you just seem like you're confessing the same sins every single week and nothing seems to be changing. The reason nothing is changing, Paul is saying, is that this isn't the way that you transform your mind. The reason you transform your mind is by the renewing of your mind. And for our context today, when you don't answer the question, what was I thinking? When you don't take the time to stop and pause and address all of the old self, what happens is the new peels right off. Yeah, you've said yes to Jesus, and you and God are good, and you're a Christian, so to speak. But when you haven't taken the time to address all of the gunk in the past, just like furniture that hasn't been prepped properly, the paint just doesn't sit right. Maybe it flakes off. Maybe it doesn't feel totally normal. And for so many of us, that's us. It's just this new faith doesn't feel totally like it fits. And the reason is you haven't taken the time to answer the question, what was I thinking all of those years? It takes time. It takes effort. And time is your friend. Time is your friend. Don't rush this process. Lastly, I would challenge you to release it. At some point, you may have to just release your past. Paul talks about this in Philippians, and I just, it's so great. He says, I don't mean to say that I have everything, that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already achieved or reached perfection. He's saying, listen, you guys know me. You know, you know where I came from. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I've got all this right, that I even understand all this, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. He's saying, I know that Jesus is who he says that he is, and I know that he died for my life, and I know that he has called me to a better way of living, and I am doing the best that I can to live that life. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You have to understand that for Paul and for so many of us, some wrongs may never be made right. But you've been made right with God. I mean, there are going to be things in your life that can't be fixed. Some relationships have been broken forever. Damage has been done. Think about this. Paul would have to live the rest of his life seeing the relatives of those he has killed this man traveled the globe starting churches. And every church that he went to, every prayer group that he went to, every hospital that he visited, he would have to look into the eyes of someone whose relatives I'm sure he may have killed or persecuted or thrown in jail. And for some of us, like Paul had to do, we've got to look at that situation. We have to say, that is my past. And that is who I was. But that's not me now. It's just not me now. So what's the practical? So if it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word practical on the screen because we want to make sure that when you guys leave on Sunday, you know exactly what to do on Monday. And I would just say that 
Most of today has been one long practical. But let me kind of summarize it a little bit for you. Number one, you need to learn to forgive yourself. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are forgiven. As hard as that is to believe. Now you have to learn to forgive yourself. And that is not easy, but it can happen. Think about it this way. If God can use Paul, he can use anyone. If God can use a guy who killed people, threw them in jail, and tried to stop God's very own movement, and he used him to transform the world and write half of the New Testament, he can use any single one of us. Lastly, I would challenge you to give people the room to grow. So in the Bible, there's a fancy word called sanctification. Sanctification. And it's a fancy word for basically, once you've said yes to Jesus, the entire rest of your life is a growth process where you are becoming more and more like Jesus. His thoughts become our thoughts. His way become our way. And what's so interesting about this process, and Paul was speaking about it in here, talking about I have not reached perfection. What's so interesting about sanctification is that we know academically that it's a lifelong process. And yet so frequently and too often when we look into the eyes of brand new believers, we want them to go from saying yes on one day to being Billy Graham the next. Ain't gonna happen. You need to get comfortable with the fact that people who have said yes to Jesus are going to look like their old selves for quite a while. And that's okay because it's a process. And they're learning how to be more like God. I would say this to yourselves. You need to give yourself room to grow. If you've recently said yes to Jesus, it's going to take a long time to start getting things right. And trust me, I've been a Christian now basically my whole life, and I'm still messing up all the time, and it's going to be like that until I die. If you didn't hear anything today, hear this. Don't let your past dictate your future. If you've said yes to Jesus, you've got a bright future. You just need to claim it. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come together today to talk about the past. The reason, Lord, you came to this earth is that so you could save us from our past, all the wrongs, all the things that we've done, Lord. If we've said yes to you, Lord, we are good. God and I, we are good, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that today if there's anyone struggling with their past, if there's anyone who just feels like it's just around every corner, I pray, Lord, that today will be a mile marker for them, that they can look back and say, today is a day that I am going to let it go. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.